This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, March 21st, the Make the Chicken Dance edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Eliza, who's eight years old, and Leo, who is four. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster from New Hampshire. But today I'm coming to you from Slate's Washington, D.C. studio, which is super exciting. I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carmel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question about how you explain death to a little kid, and another about whether your 10-year-old daughter is old enough for the rather adult cultural materials that you've been introducing her to. Plus, as always, we will have triumphs and fails. We will make recommendations on Slate Plus. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, Rebecca's husband's illness and the situation in her family. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 website for details. Let's do triumphs and fails. Rebecca, you want to go first? Triumph, fail, what do you got? I've got a triumph, and it's not mine, and it has nothing to do with parenting, but it's more of like a shout-out situation. Um, do you know the format of the show, I do. <laughs> Once you hear this, you're going to feel so guilty for giving me a hard time. You're going to feel so okay. guilty in about 20 uh, seconds. Yeah, I love when that happens. Cool. Brace yourself. <laughs> Prematurely uh, snarky so, Gabe is my favorite Gabe. <laughs> uh, I haven't talked about this on the podcast before um, because we decided to sort of keep it private, but my husband, Kevin, was diagnosed with thyroid cancer a couple months ago, and he oh. had his... Sur- yeah, you feel bad now. Now, right? I do. I see. I see right where this is going. <laughs> but he had his uh, surgery yesterday, and he's doing great. And um, for everybody who's been giving me a hard time about being nice to my forgetful husband after our podcast a couple weeks ago, screw you guys because my husband had cancer wow. when I made that podcast. <laughs> wow. So I'm wow. not the only one who feels guilty. It's ev- all, everyone who emailed us. I hope you're ashamed of yourself. <laughs> wow, that is the uh, most epic dunk I've ever seen. <laughs> but he's doing great. He had half his thyroid out, had this big old tumor out, and he's at home resting comfortably, and the prognosis is looking super good. Thyroid cancer is a very survivable, and uh, <laughs> as his uh, doctor said, if there's a cancer you want to get, it might be this one. Um, but <laughs> we were really worried also about his voice because he's obviously on a bunch of podcasts with me, and he's just doing really great. And I just wanted to dedicate my out-of-format triumph 
to Kevin Flynn right now for coming through his procedure so well and being at home and me finally being able to talk about it. It's, it all feels like a relief now that we are here rather than where we were before. All right. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> How magnanimous. (laughs) Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more about that on our Slate Plus segment today. Um, Carville, do you have a triumph that's actually a triumph, or do you have a triumph that's like (laughs) someone really close to you triumphed over a potentially fatal disease? (laughs) Subtle. Very subtle. Um, I I have a triumph that's very small, but it's this little thing that's been bothering me. It was just a one-day, one-moment triumph. So um, I haven't talked about this on the show, not because it's serious, but because it's really stupid, but... I'm having this like weirdly f- like old school traditional father moment with my son where I want him to get a haircut. It's driving me fucking crazy. His hair is literally like an itch I can't scratch. And every time I look at him, I just think he could be saying whatever. And I'm just thinking, but when are you going to get a haircut? And he could be telling me a story about some interaction that he had at school or something that happened or some kid or whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm listening and nodding and trying to empathize, uh, uh, what's it called? Em- em- empathize? <laughs> That's how good I am at that. I don't even know what it's called. But I'm trying to empathize and be there with him. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder if they would have treated you the same if you had a haircut. And I'm just, I just feel like a, a 70s dad being like, cut your hair, <laughs> get a haircut. <laughs> and so <laughs> this has been going on for a really long time. And like the serious side of this is that the one of the reasons he struggled with the haircut thing is because he, he's got a whole thing about getting haircuts because he's a mixed kid. And a lot of times people don't know, he doesn't know how to go into barbershops and ask for the haircuts that he wants. So then I like, I've shown him, but then he's like at an age where he has to do it on his own and to walk into a barbershop. It's like a super duper male space and he's got to figure out how to navigate this stuff. And I'm like, look, I ha- we all have to figure it out. I had to go into barbershops and say and do the thing and you have to do it and here's how you do it and here's what you say. And the last time he went to one, he didn't quite say what he wanted, and he just sort of went along to get along, and then he ended up getting a haircut that he didn't like, and he was stressed out about it, and so he was intimidated, I think, to go back. And so we've been going back and forth about it, but in the meantime, it's been growing this crazy hair thing that I don't even know what it's called, but I just, you know, it's whatever. So so I finally, um, so we would, it got to this point where I was like, my stated philosophy as a parent was I'm going to let it go. You know, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to, I'm just going to like hold it to myself that that his haircut is, dri- his lack of haircut is driving me crazy. Um, but I guess I let it slip a number of times <laughs> and at a certain point because he and his mom were going on, a, they're, they're having spring break next week. He's turning 16. We ha- decided that when both the kids turned 16, we would take them on some trip out of the country of some type. So he and his mom are leaving on Thursday, which is tomorrow, to go to Iceland for a week, which I will wow. update on. Um, cool. Yeah, I know. And uh, and so, anyway, so his mother, even his mother was like, can you get him to get his haircut before we go to Iceland? Like, I don't know why that matters, but I just, we're just bothered by it. So finally, at the end of last week, he said, um, he just texted me like, hey, can you, can, can we get my haircut on Saturday? And I tried to play it cool. I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, sure. We'll see what we can do. And, uh, but I was so afraid that he was going to change his mind or it wasn't going to happen. So we finally did. I went and picked him up, dropped him off at the barbershop. And I like 
we clarified various things about what to ask for and what what is the number three and what's this and what's shadow fade and what's a bald fade and do you square the back or do you taper and how do you talk about this and like we, the whole thing and what do, you, what do you do with the front line and all the like technology around haircuts that, that just goes on that like you have to learn if you're a dude that you have to learn. And he did it and he came back and, you know, he got a haircut. And I was like really happy about it. <laughs> so then the next day comes and... um it's Monday. It's it the next school day comes. It's Monday, and he gets in the car, and he gets in the car on time, weirdly on time for like you know I'd say one percent of the time of the since he's been in high school has he gotten into the car on time in order for us to get there. But he got in the car on time on this day. We drove to school. We made small talk. Jokes were made. Music was listened to. We get to school. He gets out. He goes into class before class starts. Not at eight fifteen. Not rushing up there at eight twenty. He gets out of his car. He gets out of the car at eight oh three. Other kids are going into school. He's greeting people at the door. He looks like a normal student with a haircut. And I was like, this moment right here is a triumph. <laughs> just having, just seeing my son on time to school with his hair not looking a mess, it's a triumph. And it's, I'm never going to repeat it. He's going to be 20 minutes late tomorrow. And lo and behold, the dude was 20 minutes late today. Like, I'll never get that moment again. But as a parent, you have to just appreciate the small stuff. And I was like, for one shining moment, I had everything in order <laughs> parentally, and I'm never going to forget it. So that was my triumph. <laughs> and now that's never, a real triumph. <laughs> and you can never tell him because he'll never he'll never want to repeat it if you do. <laughs> nope. Yes. No, exactly. That's right. I yeah. almost and I almost because I was like sometimes I'll do like positive re- like I'll text him over the day. Hey, I, I really just want to say I'm like, you know, I really appreciate you like doing such and such a thing this morning, you know, positive reinforcement. And I thought about doing that on Monday and I was like, nope, because as soon as I say that, then he's never going to want to do it again. <laughs> he's going to be like, fuck you, dad. You just don't believe in me. You don't think I can do anything. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I can't. I can't have that. I can't start that whole shit. So just forget about it. So I, you know, I just had to like just take it for what it was and let it go. Ugh. I, that moment where you're like, you realize you're now the dad who wants the kid to get a haircut, and like, how did <laughs> totally. I get here? I totally. the other day I was walking down the street with Eliza. We walked past a tattoo parlor. She didn't say anything, but she looked at it with a great deal of curiosity. And I, <laughs> I, I know that, like, at some point, I'm going to be the dad who's like, no, you can't get a tattoo. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I just, I had a vision of myself saying that. And I felt a kind of deep feeling of continuity with my own parents who had said <laughs> it to me and with yeah. their parents who had said it to them and back through the ages, back to Eastern Europe and all the way back to the tribes of Israel. <laughs> parents telling their kids, no, you can't get a tattoo that's my line and that uh uh, yeah yeah and it's so it's so crazy because my hair when i was in high school used to drive my mother i had like two dreads like my hair was a mess when i was in high school (laughs) and my mother used to she got so mad at me she'd be like cut your hair i'd be like mom you don't understand i'm an artist like i have to express myself she'd be like but you look a mess like blah 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 and i just i I didn't want to hear it (laughs) and now here we are and i'm doing the exact same thing to this poor kid and god bless him he got his stupid haircut just probably just to shut me up and uh that's 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 the cycle it's the way of the world um I have a triumph, which is that I made up a fantastic game yesterday, uh, which is a game that is best played with one adult and two children of different ages in a small apartment with a lot of furniture and a, a Super Bowl, like one of those very, very bouncy rubber balls. And the game is you, your goal, if you're holding the ball, it, it's the, the grown up against the two kids. 
And when it's your turn, you're holding the ball and you're, you get a point for every time you bounce it on the floor and catch it. And the other players are trying to physically stop you from doing that and get the ball away from you by whatever means necessary. And if you can do that 50 times, if you can bounce and catch the ball 50 times before your two children can stop you from doing it and get the ball away from you, then you win. And it's really fun because the little one can like climb up on you and try to like pull you down. (laughs) And the big one can like stand in a way where like you can't move. And now she's trying to get your ball, the ball out of your fist and you're like swapping it behind your back and distracting them and it it's not really challenging as is true of most games that you're going to play against two children like i was able to defeat them quite successfully on a regular basis and i did crow about it um but we had a really good time and so i recommend this game um it it, i it needs a name it's called um can you bounce the ball 50 times in a crowded apartment against your children game? <laughs> and um, that was my triumph is, uh, as a game designer. Uh, if you try it at home, uh, let us know how it goes. I think it's my best game since the famous swimming pool game, Kick You in the Face. Is this the kind of game where if there's somebody else home, the fact that you're playing this game will make them crazy because you might break something? Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. and, 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 and when and when you say someone else, are you thinking of anyone specific? No. <laughs> Just anyone who might happen to be there. Who might also happen yeah. to live there. Who might also yeah. happen to own some of the things that are surrounding you as you play this potentially destructive, albeit very fun game. <laughs> I gotta say, it's that degree of risk. That degree of both physical and financial and indeed emotional marital risk right. that, that makes the game interesting for the adult player. Mm. That's the that's yes. the extra level of challenge that the adult player faces because the kids yes. are shielded from that risk by the participation of the adult player, right? <laughs> yes. The blame is not going to, the consequences are not going to land on the children when there's an adult participant. So that's what makes it really dramatic and exciting for the grown-up is that you really, you don't want to break any of the stuff with the Super Bowl because obvious reasons. Hmm. Um, yeah, so. I believe in some parts of the country this game is called matrimonial roulette. Yes. Exactly. Or it's called Russian ma- marriage. Or it's called Dad is the fun one and Mom is a drag is what it's called. <laughs> Mom is allowed to play this game too. There was a New Yorker cartoon uh, that we cite a lot where the caption, it's the family around the dinner table and the dad is like holding the roast chicken and the caption is, your mom cooks the chicken but your dad makes it dance. Oh, God. <laughs> Pretty much we, sums we, it up. We, we cite that one sometimes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not very good. Making the chicken dance. It's good. If you have a thought about this, discuss it on our Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting, and uh, let us know what you thought of my brilliant triumph. Time now to do the business. First of all, you should check out Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to find out about new episodes of this show, new care and feeding columns, new Ask a Teacher, more of Slate's great parenting content. If you haven't already signed up, go to slate.com slash parenting email right now. That's slate.com slash parenting email. As always, if you have a question for us, email us at momanddad at slate.com or give us a call 424-255-7833. Also, uh, if you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, go to Facebook right now and search for Slate Parenting. 
It is the best thing on Facebook, and I genuinely mean that. On Slate Plus today, we're going to follow up on our conversation about uh, Rebecca's husband and his recent health scare. Uh, You want to hear about how her family has dealt with that. If you want more glimpses into the private lives of your favorite mom and dad are fighting hosts uh, every week, particularly if those hosts are Rebecca Lavoie, uh, you should definitely be a member of Slate Plus. Uh, You can join up by going to slate.com slash mom and dad plus. It's just $35 for your first year. You help us make the show and you get extended ad free episodes every week. That's slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Okay, onward. Time now to take a question from a listener. Uh, This one came to us over email. If you want to send us a question, you can send it to us over email. Our email address is momanddad at slate.com. You can uh, email your questions to us there. This question is being read for us by our producer, Jess Jupiter. Hi, mom and dad are fighting. My daughter is 10 and has an artist temperament and talent. She has a special needs brother who adds dimension and challenges to all our lives. So she's had to reckon with concepts of fairness, resentment, and responsibility. Maybe she's matured faster due to all these factors. The question is about the culture I share with her. She likes emotionally complicated music. She listens to ordinary pop like Halsey, which is just explicit, but she really hooks into songs by Amy Winehouse and sings Valerie beautifully, which so that surprises me every time. Long ago, when Alan Cumming released Wilkoman on Spotify, my kids heard it, then liked it, and now she listens on her own. I'm cringing at the day when she catches on to what a cunnilingus really is. Meanwhile, I'm 100% her parent and have her do her chores and monitor her laptop browsing and insist on bed before midnight. Sometimes, I have these moments like, maybe I shouldn't have shared that media. Not because of the word fuck, but because of complicated adult stuff like waiting for a man in a hotel or rehab or being personally disappointed by the person you turned out to be or making fun of R. Kelly as a way of whistling in the dark or understanding that so much violence is born of religious differences and that sometimes, contrary to what school says, Police aren't everybody's friend. I feel like in some ways, I'm complicit in adultifying her when she's only 10. The argument for sharing what I do is that I know this girl, and these are her interests, and anything else would be dishonest. But should I let her discover what she might and not necessarily contribute more obscure bits? Or should I wait longer? Sincerely, Danielle. I think this is the kind of question where I would have given a different answer a little earlier in my life. I think when my kids were really little, I probably would have said, you know, you need to be careful and you don't want to give them anything that's sort of too complicated for them. And maybe they'll wind up kind of getting scared about it or disturbed by it. And I do remember as a kid, like sometimes finding stuff, stumbling onto stuff that I was not ready for and it having some not great results in my psyche, like feeling scared and also sort of upset and shocked and that weird kind of nausea that you get when you're a kid and you discover something adult that you're not ready for. Um, so I like I'm aware of that as a potential danger, I guess. But as Eliza, my older kid, has gotten older. She's now eight, so a little bit younger than your daughter. Um, and and one of the things that I've sort of seen about her from the beginning is the way in which, like, there is this desire to grow that seems innate. There's this desire to be, like, on to the next thing. I remember, like, being impressed when she was a baby that, like, no, she wants to be walking. She wants to be, like, lifting her head up. All of these developmental stuff, it doesn't just happen. It happens out of, like, concrete desire and ambition on the kid's part. 
And I think this is a version of that. Your kid wants to know what's really going on. Your kid doesn't want to be stuck in the kind of sanitized world of age-appropriate media and wants to, like, know how it really happens in the world and what grown-ups do in hotel rooms and what the, how the world really is. And that doesn't mean that you should just tell her everything about how the world really is or just allow her to watch horror movies or pornography or whatever it is. But at the same time, like, you got to recognize that that the, the fact that she's responding to this stuff comes from something real and, like, profoundly useful and, and, and meaningful in her. Uh, and, and you don't want to tell her, like, no, sorry, your desire to know about Amy Winehouse and the real depth of feeling that goes on in these songs and the real situations that involve actual adult human actors and their actual lives um, – that that is real, and you don't want to shut that off. Is what I think. What do you think? I think uh, your daughter likes good art, and I think good art is provocative. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's much simpler than that. I mean, I think about all the ten-year-old kids in America right now who are running around singing songs from the Hamilton soundtrack, and Hamilton is about race, sex, death, grief, um, complicated political themes. There's uh, a lot of debauchery. It's sort of like hidden in the lyrics of that show. I think uh, you know music uh, from the Beatles, which is what my kids loved when they were younger. Um, uh, a lot of you know. 90s hip hop, which my son was sort of my son's first entree into like the world of hip hop. Uh, it's like, this is good art and good art is provocative. And I think your daughter sounds super cool. And I think what the, the key is that when things come up, I mean, what I did and I, you know, I can tell you that like, you know, I never bought the whole Tipper Gore thing where you sort of tie racy lyrics to like troubling behaviors. I don't think there's actually any correlation there whatsoever. Um, but when things would come up and things that they liked or songs that they started singing along to and because there does come a point, let's face it, where, you know, I've been there now for years. My kids know music that I've never even heard. You know, like when, what do they say when you're 35 or whatever is when you stop ex enjoying listening to new music. So I'm hearing new stuff all the time or rehearing things that I thought I I knew on, through a new lens when I hear my kids discover it. And if there's anything that pops out to you that you feel like you need to talk through, I'd take that moment to talk through it. You know, I think more recently those conversations have come up about like, wow, this song really doesn't hold up in terms of like how unbelievably like misogynistic it is or, uh, <laughs> or you know, themes like that. Um but yeah, I don't really think you have a lot to worry about here. And I, th I find it interesting that um, this writer in her, that you threw in so many details about your family life and your other son having special needs and that sort of contributing to her, you know, being drawn to things that are more emotionally complicated. Maybe that's the case. Um, I just think that your daughter has good taste. And I think that having good taste means she is ready to hear the things that are good. And a lot of those things, frankly, are provocative. And that's kind of what makes them good. So I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little simplistic, but that's kind of my take from that. Yeah, I think – I mean, I, I, it doesn't sound to me like it's a problem that your kid is into stuff like this. And I think it's not a problem in and of itself. And I think the fear of adultifying your kid, I think that's a real thing. But I think the fact that you're writing into a parenting podcast to make sure that you're not adultifying your kid probably indicates that you have enough consciousness and clarity around it and are kind of – have enough sort of being guarded against that that you're not that you're not doing that. I think what adultifying a kid looks like is a parent who who just doesn't care 
what the impact of the stuff that they're doing on the kid is. They're just doing their own stuff, and they're just completely ensconced in their own world, thinking entirely about their own shit, and then they're just throwing whatever at the kid, and so the kid is left to, like, sort of on their own to make sense of all this grown-up stuff. And that doesn't sound like what's happening in your household. It sounds like that your kid has advanced tastes, and you just want to double-check and make sure that that's cool. And I think that it is cool. And I think that I don't think you need to explain things that don't, that your kid doesn't ask about. I mean, that's one of the great tricks of parenting. Exactly. A kid will be singing a, <laughs> a kid will be singing a song and they'll be saying some stuff that you're like, do you know what that means, what you're saying? But you're not gonna stop them and be like, now let me explain what let me take a ride in your disco stick really means. Like you're not gonna say that because <laughs> you don't you, you know, like they're they're going to get to that eventually, or probably what'll happen is someone else will explain to them, some peer, someone they're more comfortable having this conversation with, and they'll never bring it up with you and you'll never talk about it. And you know, that's also a possibility. I don't think any of that is wrong. I think that if you, I think, listen, the people in art and music talk about things that are taking place in the world. Your kid is going to learn about those things because they are in the world and they're curious about it. And as a parent, part of what you get to do is help kids understand and process. I don't think, I think, as, I think we overestimate the amount of parenting that is based in keeping things out. There is some keeping things out that's part of parenting, but I think as a culture, we tend to over-rely on that one strategy, that one tool, uh, and sometimes to the detriment of other tools like building critical thinking or preparing your kid for the reality of the situation. So nothing that you've laid out here sounds like, oh my God, I, you need to cut that off you know, like immediately and knock that off and get your kid some Care Bears stat. Um, I think you let your kid drive the discussion when they ask about something that's difficult, you can try to find age-appropriate language to explain what you can. You can say, I don't really quite know how to explain this to you. It's actually kind of complicated. It's confusing. I think your kid is ready to hear you be a person, so be a person for her. And I think she'll benefit a lot from that. That makes sense to me. The thing I would worry about a little more, in fact, than than the kid getting into these sort of slightly raunchy grown-up songs and shows would be a kid, and I'm sure this is going to happen in, in my family and many other families, would be when a kid of like 10 or 11 starts getting into like really pulpy stuff for teenagers, like the way in which teenage mm. stuff can just be extremely lurid and full of like yeah. intense feeling displayed through often through genre tropes in incredibly intense sure. ways. Um, which as an adult, one sort of looks back on as like a little bit ridiculous, but as a teenager, one finds extremely like compelling and, and real. And then maybe as a little kid is just maybe too rich, you know what I mean? Like too concentrated a draft of the adult stuff for a 10 or 11 year old. <laughs> um, so uh, that's not something that the, the questioner mentions, but it's just something I slightly see down the road. Like, what are you going to do when a precocious kid starts getting into, like, YA vampire romance? Uh, and, and that feels much more worrying. Well, the reality is, though, that that's not what precocious kids get into. I mean, that, that's not precocious kids get into that. That's regular kids get into that. Everyone right. knows that, like, kids in single digits want to be teenagers. Kids who are teenagers want to be adults. And people who are adults want to be kids again. And that's the cycle of it. And so all that stuff that is – all that lurid, like, ridiculous, like, um, what's the Archie and Jughead redo? Yeah, Riverdale. Riverdale. Like, Riverdale, yeah. shit like that. 
that stuff, the people who really get into that, even though it's supposed to be for young adult or whatever, the people who really, like, get down with that shit are, like, 10, 11, 12. That's their favorite shit. By the time kids are 15, 16, they think that's idiotic. And then right. by 15, 16, they want to see, like, Reservoir Dogs and, like, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's sort of the cycle of it. And and to me, that, at least with my kids, that actually felt appropriate that 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 because that stuff is idiotic and childish, it makes sense that, like, my childish fifth grader was, thought it was, like, the deepest, dopest shit ever. And by the time she was actually, like, the age of the kids in the stories, she thought it was ridiculous. And that's, like, sort of what we want to happen. That's um, right. I don't know. And so, I mean, there is there is that thing about the way kids put away childish things. And so kids getting into that lurid vampire fantasy, just whatever, like you said, concentrated draft of life with heightened emotions that defines the genre— what happens is if they get into it at 10 or 11, they put it away by 13 or 14 because they realize it's stupid. And that's that, to me, feels almost like part of the process. No, I totally agree with you. And I think the stuff you really have to worry about is the stuff that you're not smart enough to see <laughs> like or hear. Mm. You know, The stuff yes. you should be worrying about is the stuff your kid <laughs> is seeing on Discord. That's what you should yeah, be course. worried about. And if you don't Oof. know what Discord is yeah. and you have a parent – you're a parent of a kid who is older than six or seven, uh, You know, that is the chat platform. I mean, it's used for yeah. a lot of different things, streaming, chat, whatever. But this is the platform on which kids chat with – other people, and it's a big uh, gaming platform. So there's lots of communities there, lots of groups, and there is a lot of shit on Discord that is um, sort of media based stuff that would blow your mind. That if your kid is on Discord, they are seeing and they are talking about and mm-hmm. they are looking at. Mm-hmm. And if you look at any of that, and then you're still worried about your kid watching Pretty Little Liars or whatever, like you're out of your damn mind. You would like <laughs> you'd be praying for them to watch Pretty Little Liars every day. Um, so. <laughs> I would. I mean, I like to focus my energy on 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 those things because I just mm. think that that's where the real damage can happen when kids have pockets of their lives mm-hmm. that ha- involve pop culture or involve media where they have where they feel like they have to keep it secret. Why would I would way mm. rather have a conversation with my kid about like a racy song than. Um, mm. you know, that, that's e- that's like, that's not easy, but it's just part, it's also part of pop culture. Like it's being played on the radio. It's not like, what are you going to do? Like, like stop the frequencies from coming into your house or whatever. But like, it's the stuff they have to go find that is the stuff where you, I think, have to really think about what limits you want to draw in a, in a more thoughtful way. Um, but music stuff, it's just, it's just really hard for me to say that like, even I mean, if there, I mean, some really, really good songs are super gross. They just are, but there doesn't make them not good songs. And and it's just, you know, this conversation has been happening what since the dawn of pop music, right? The sort of like get mm. off my lawn with you crazy kids in your music conversation. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think if anybody mm-hmm. can sort of help parents, you know, the, uh, those of us who are Gen Xers, like we should be good at having this conversation with parents who are new at it. Like it doesn't really matter because we grew up in the era where. Literally, the vice president of the United States' wife thought that the stuff we were listening to was bad for us, like the way that sugar is bad for you, and uh, tried to get, you know, legislation around it and stuff. And some of those efforts were successful. And like we realized now, like that was really stupid. That was like a stupid place for us to be putting our political and pop culture energy. So I don't know. It's hard for me to get back on that, like put the cork back in that bottle. Yeah, I mean, this. I know we're getting to the end of it, but I, this does make me think of one thing that I think is really important, which is this this thing that you bring up, Rebecca, about kids finding stuff on the internet uh, and the stuff they have to seek out. That that's the real dangerous stuff. I agree with that. My experience with Ezra 
uh, in particular who's, who, like, seeks out knowledge, quote-unquote, and theories and viewpoints on the Internet in a way that his sister doesn't really. She, she gets her information and her take on the world in a different way. She's not interested in, like, a bunch of people on the Internet arguing about, like, theories. My son is, and um, he does come across some shitty stuff that I that in my mind is like in no like I have no doubt that is like rooted in racism and misogyny and is like the root of like all the terrible shit and all that and but the thing is he brings that stuff to me he says dad what do you think about this I saw this video where this guy made this point doesn't that kind of make sense or I read in this thing and I heard someone talking about this for him it's mostly YouTube videos video essays and I'll be like what do you think about this what do you think about this and and I get to be like this is ridiculous here's why this is wrong here's why this is historical blah 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 but he's still bringing this to me and I think part of the reason he's bringing it to me is because I didn't flip out when he was listening to whatever like so-called inappropriate shit that he was listening to three or four years ago I didn't turn it into a moral issue so we were able to have a continuing dialogue that that sort of like when it didn't matter because I, I agree that this stuff doesn't those lyrics and shit they don't matter that much but when it does matter which is some of this like other stuff on the internet he we st- we have an open dialogue about that and I think that's really important agreed all right. Uh, thanks very much for the email. I hope that was helpful finding out that you should actually be super worried, but not about the thing that you're worried about. <laughs> uh, take that home with you. Um, yeah. Helpful tip. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time to take another question from a listener. This one also came to us on our email address, but uh, maybe you would like to hear your voice on the show, in which case you can call us, 424-255-7833. Leave us a voicemail. This listener did not call us. Uh, they chose to email us, momanddad at slate.com, and therefore uh, you will once again be hearing the voice of producer Jess Jupiter. Hi, mom and dad are fighting. I'm the mother to a three-and-a-half-year-old boy and eight-month-old girl. As my son is starting to get a little bit older, I've become very aware of all the scary things out there in the world that he will someday soon learn about. The concept of death is at the forefront for me. I don't think my son has any real knowledge or understanding of death, but a few weeks ago at bedtime, I asked him to get into bed and he answered, I'm going to sleep under the ground, to which my husband jokingly responded, only dead people sleep underground. I gave my husband an incredulous look and my son then asked, what are dead people? As this was not the kind of story I wanted to send my child off to bed with, we managed to change the subject and it hasn't come up again since. But suddenly, death seems to be everywhere. My concern is more about if, how, and when to introduce the concept at all. We have been fairly strict about screen time, and most of his access to TV is limited to preschool content from PBS and Netflix. But he's starting to get interested in superheroes and Disney characters that his friends talk about at school. 
When I think about showing this kind of media to my young child, it now seems full of things like death and violence and evil that I worry about introducing to him at such a sensitive young age. I remember watching Bambi as a very young child and being distraught at the mother's death, but I wasn't scarred. Am I being too overprotective? When he plays with the toy soldiers he got in a goodie bag and asks what a soldier is and what they're holding, do I tell him about guns and war? I know I can't shield him from these things forever, but is there any value in holding off as long as I can? Or could that do some other kind of harm too? How do you begin to let these very scary ideas enter a child's consciousness? Thanks for your thoughts. Sincerely, Alex. All right. So not only can you not shield him from these things forever, you can't shield him from them for five more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like the cat is out of the bag. I'm really <laughs> sorry. Um, so the idea of like, oh, well, we're just going to wait on death. We're not going to do death until he's like eight or nine. That's not an option for you, I'm afraid. And so you're going to have to get used to the idea that you are going to have to explain death to him. And that's going to be difficult emotionally, but it's also going to be difficult conceptually because explaining how somebody, like what it is to die, what it means for a person's consciousness to end uh, is just extremely complicated for a kid who's less than four years old. That's just conceptually really tricky. So good luck explaining that. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of layers to this question, but since death was the loss leader of the, of the question, I'm just going to address <laughs> that one. Um, there is, you cannot, I mean, I, I don't think you actually should attempt to shield your kid from this particular concept because it is definitely going to be something that he experiences and that people he knows experiences. It's Death. Not, it's likely to come up. <laughs> it's unlikely. Unlike <laughs> nuclear warfare, which is a, you know, something that we hope will not happen and like that would be very complicated to like death is a part of life. It's no, it's more, it's just as much a part of life as eating and sleeping. And it is, it's an inevitability. And you don't have to talk about it with your son like, you're going to die too someday. However, uh, <laughs> when he says, what is a dead person? It is completely appropriate to say, you know, eventually all living things die, which means they don't walk anymore and talk anymore their you know their body stops working and it's a you know it's part of life and uh, it's not something you have to worry about for a long time you can say comforting things like that it's <laughs> fine um but like it's the I, this is the one concept i would say you should absolutely not shy away from talking about if your son is showing curiosity because mm. he's going to read a book at school or someone's going to read him a book at school it's going to have death in it um it's literally part of the canon of every children's film <laughs> as you mentioned mm. with bambi but <laughs> How about Finding mm. Nemo? How about, you know, uh, uh, what's the one with the snowman? Uh, you know, um, Frozen. Frozen, I Frozen mean, is the one with the snowman, Rebecca. <laughs> yes, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, but, but I mean, this is, this is not an avoidable thing. So I would say, uh, it might, this conversation might give you some practice dealing with these other topics because this one is so cut and dry. Like it is not a maybe it will happen. It is, it will happen. It does happen. Every day, all the time, it will have people that you love and it's, you know, a biological process. It's part of life. You don't have to get deep into grief conversations and afterlife conversations. And it is completely okay to say things to your kid like, I don't know. That's not something anybody really knows. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It is okay to say that around conversations like this. And I think it's a good place to start practicing for some of this other difficult stuff that I'm sorry, mom, it's 100% inevitable that you're going to have to talk about as well. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that one of the mistakes we make as parents is that we think that we're like solely responsible for 
this kid's like lifelong relationship with death. Like this one conversation that we're going to have is going to like be responsible for everything. And that's where there's so much pressure and to do it right. And we're not sure if we should or how we should. But the reality is you're going to explain death when the kid asks and then the kid will proceed to spend the rest of their life dealing with (laughs) various input and information and thoughts about death. And so you're not solely responsible. So you don't have to do it perfectly. You just have to not terribly fuck it up. So I think you kind of do get to just say something relatively direct. I just remember I had a flashback reading this to when our kids were little (laughs) reading. I feel like this might have been Ezra, but it could have been George. I don't remember. Joe might remember. We're reading this book in which the mother dies. It was one of those books that someone gave us and we didn't know the mother was going to die in the book. So we start reading this children's book. This whole thing is very beautiful. All the paintings and it's like the Southwest and all this stuff. And then it's like, <laughs> then it's like we get to this point. The kid must have been, whichever kid it was, must have been like three. I feel like this was Ezra. Maybe two. And uh, we said something and then it was like, and then mom died or whatever. And uh, and he was like, what? Mom died? And we were like, yeah. And we realized that we didn't have, weren't ready for this and we weren't sure and we were ready to explain it. And I remember somehow there was a very brief explanation of what death was, kind of like just cursory enough that we could continue with the story and hopefully punt this thing down the road. So we got it out. A few more sentences were read, and then he stopped again and then was like, are you going to die? And so we looked at each other and we were like, well, yeah, honey, I think. And before we could finish this sentence, he just started screaming. He was like, ah! <laughs> like oh, no. We were like, no, no, honey, no, sh- it's, gonna, it's not going to happen for a long No, sh-, you know, but we had lost control of this thing. He was like shook. And, uh, and like, whatever, like, that's how we introduced that to him. We didn't do it the right way. We didn't know it was happening. It just jumped up on us. You could argue, his therapist may argue, that this is, like, responsible for why he won't cut his hair. Now, I don't know. He doesn't, like, his hair is his only, like, belief in life, and he doesn't want it to cut. I don't know how that affected him, but what I've seen is that he's, you know, he's, like, taken input about death and thoughts about death and the meaning of life and death from all kinds of sources over the ensuing years. And that conversation we had with him wasn't the main thing. It just was one thing that happened, and we didn't do it right. But he was fine. We still were able to laugh and have many joyful and playful times. And he seems to be fairly accepting of the fact that death is happening and also it's a long way off. But it could not be a long way off because you don't know. But also, you know, I'm going to also get up and, like, make toast. He seems to be able to navigate all those things. I think your kid will do the same. So I think you might be putting too much pressure on this one conversation. Just say what you know. Be honest about what you don't. Say what you think. You know, if you have feelings, then say, I think it's this, and here's what I believe. But different people believe different things. Just kind of just be yourself and uh, yeah. and let whatever happens, happens. It's funny because I think a lot of people remember the first time their parents talked to them about sex. But I don't know if we remember when right. we first learned about death because it's just something you learn about, right? It's just something that, like, right. you know, you have a goldfish that right. dies or whatever, and you learn about it. But I do remember one lie my mother told me about death, and I'll never forget it because I think about it all the time, and I've thought about it a lot recently. I remember when I was a lie, I asked my mom if she was scared to die, and she said, you know, when you become an adult, you stop being scared to die. And I'm here to tell you that is complete bullshit. <laughs> I am terrified of dying. 
I don't want to die. It was a lie. There is not some magic oh, age at which all of a sudden dying isn't scary anymore. Like, it's totally scary thinking about dying, especially when you start, like, when you get older and people in your life die and you watch them die and you're like, oh, that's fucking scary. Like, I don't want to have that happen to me. So, yes. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's right. But I also do sort of feel like I'm really I get where she's tired. coming from. Uh, yeah. I, like, I'm, yeah. I'm busy and I'm tired. And, yeah. Like, I try to think about, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, at least it's not going to go on forever. Uh, you know what I mean? I guess. That's so Gabe of you. <laughs> Two more things. Number one, we had a recent one with Leo where, like, he's never seen the movie, but in his school they've been reading a book of the story of the movie The Lion King. And in The Lion King, both the, the benevolent father and also the evil uncle both die. And, yeah. and he described it recently as, like, it's a dying story. Meaning it's a story that contains dying and and that's something that he feels a bit of trepidation around. Like he doesn't always want a dying story. That's he might right. want a story that doesn't have any dying in it. He is able to like talk about it and manage it in that way. You know what I mean? Um like I don't want to read that tonight. That's a dying story. Right. Okay, we'll read something else. Mm. Um it's it's a thing that it's obviously a thing that exists and that he has feelings about that exists in his mind. I mean, and that he has feelings about, but um, he he is managing it as he manages other stuff. Um, then this morning he told me, actually, you know, Mustafa, the benevolent father in the Lion King, uh, does not actually die. He goes <sighs> to sleep, he lies down, and then he he dies for a bit, but then he's okay. But Scar, I, the bad, the mean uncle, he does die. I will never forgive uh, the makers of Lion King for killing Musafa about like a third of the way through the movie. Like, you really get attached to that dad. It's not like the other movies where like the parent dies right at the beginning and you're kind of over it 15 minutes in the movie. Like that, I'll never forgive them for that. That movie is still very hard for me to watch for that reason. Not going to lie. But, but Rebecca, <laughs> you are you are aware that it's all part of what, what we call the circle of life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I have okay, not seen the movie. I've only Someone read this book to him. I've, I've only read this book to him, but I'm aware that the death of Mustafa is, it plays a role in the entire sort of telos of the film, uh, and 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 the assumption of the little baby to the throne and the circle of life. Second thing is, um, there's a book I really want to recommend here. It's called lifetimes the beautiful way to explain death to children which it is in fact a beautiful way to explain death to children i don't know that they had to put beautiful in the subtitle it feels a bit promotional to me um <laughs> but but you, the book is called lifetimes the author is brian meloni or melanie uh we'll put a link on our show page um and it's really good at like spelling out it starts with plants and then it goes to animals and then it ends up with like yeah also people as well uh, but it it you the premise is everything that has a beginning also has an ending and that's its lifetime um, and you come out the other end kind of with a conceptual sense of death that's a little stronger than it was before and it was very helpful for for both of my kids. It's time for the part of the show where we tell you what to do and then you go and do it in terms of using or consuming things. Uh, so, Rebecca, would you like to tell people what to do in terms of using or consuming things so that they can then go and do it? <laughs> 
Sure. <laughs> but mine is super specific, so it's not it's gonna be a drag for you guys to listen to. But um I, as you know, I've talked about many times in the show, I'm kind of in the middle of this whole college process with my son Henry. And uh one thing that nobody tells you is that after you apply and you fill out the FAFSA and you do all that, you get ten million emails from various schools asking you for the same documentation over and over and over again. I need to see your mother's W two from nineteen from two thousand seventeen. I need to see your uh you know your your bank statement from the date you filled out the FAFSA. All that stuff. It is a giant pain in the ass. And I because I'm a disorganized person, like pretty much, I've been terrified this whole time that I'm going to totally mess it up, and that my son is going to like miss out on some like scholarship opportunity because like I didn't see an email he forwarded me or like get some piece of paper in time. So I developed a system, and obviously the way that you choose to execute this, my recommendation, uh, is up to your level of comfort with technology and privacy. But I have a high level of comfort with technology and care less about my privacy than I do about not fucking up my kids' opportunity to get merit money at some college. So I basically uh, did this for my 2017 paperwork, which is what you needed for the FAFSA that we filled out for 2019. Scan everything, take pictures of everything, give them very clear names and store them in one place, a central folder that you can reach no matter what computer you're on, mm. like mm. a Google Drive or mm. something like that. And that way... Uh, when your 17-year-old kid calls you in a panic from lunch at high school and says, oh, my God, Boston College needs a copy, another copy of your signed tax return from 2017, I can just say, here, I'm sharing the Google Drive link with you right now. It's all there. It's just all there. So the the, the second part of this tip is I've realized I got to do this every freaking year. So it's like tax time for 2018, and I'm just building that folder now. Stu- and I'm calling it Stuff Colleges Will need for 2020 2021 Mm. i'm giving everything super stupid names they'll be easy to find later centralizing it all and the other thing that you have to realize parents if you're a couple years out from this you know that whole thing where parents like hide their financial details from their kids when you apply for colleges they learn everything so that's just a bullshit thing you shouldn't do anymore because like they're the (laughs) ones who actually have to submit all this stuff the kids see your tax returns the kids see everything that you submit because they are the actual submitters for this stuff so this idea that like we don't talk to our kids about how much money we make. Forget it. Just forget it. Just start talking to them back because they're going to find out in two years. So my tip is to even if you, you know, if you're not comfortable with Google Drive or whatever, if you want to keep it on some hidden hard drive in your house, make a clearly labeled folder with clearly documented uh, versions of everything way more than you would keep for your own tax record keeping because every college is different, but they, there is a pattern where you start getting asked for the same things over and over and over again. It is very helpful to have the central place where you can just share a link with your kid and they can send it in themselves. So that's my tip slash recommendation for this week. Nice. That is great. I'm going to recommend. I'm going to do something that uh, Rebecca has done in the past and I have ruthlessly mocked her for it, which is I'm going to uh, borrow a recommendation from a listener. Mm. Um, a couple of weeks ago on this show, I talked about playing role-playing games with Eliza. We played um, No Thank You Evil, which is a terrific game. And a listener emailed to let me know that there's a very good role-playing game set in the world of Equestria, which <laughs> if, 
Yeah, Rebecca knows. <laughs> uh, meaning you get to play as any of your favorite My Little Pony characters. Uh, from, from the promotional materials, will you be a dynamic adventurer like Daring Do or a stylish diva like Rarity? Um, you get to create a pony character for yourself and go on adventures within Equestria. The game is called uh, Tales of Equestria. Obviously, Tales is spelled like the tale of a horse because that's the, the sort of punning motif that is common within the My Little Pony uh, franchise universe. Um, but if you are interested in the idea of playing role-playing games with your kids and you have kids who are into the My Little Pony world, um, this might be a great way to start My Little Pony Tales of Equestria. Love Carvel, it. how about you? I am recommending a video that Georgia and I watched at the Science Museum, which is one of the things we did when her teachers were on strike. And we came across this like video about a 15-year-old astronaut. That's right. This kid is 15 years old. She's already been hired by NASA. She's a freaking astronaut. Her name is Alyssa Carson, <laughs> and she's an astronaut. And she's fucking 15. And the video about her is just amazing. She's amazing. They interview her, her parents. They show her, like, training. It's just wild. It's from a, it's this series on Refinery29 called Anomaly, and we'll drop the link on the show page in, uh, in the Facebook group if I remember to, but it'll definitely be in the show page. Um, and so I'm recommending this amazing video of the 15-year-old NASA uh, astronaut, Alyssa Carson. Nice. All right, that's our show. Uh, Slate Plus members, stick around if you want to hear about uh, Rebecca's home life and her husband's recent uh, bout of illness. Uh, if you have a question that you want us to address on the show, you can call us, 424-255-7833, or send us an email, momanddad at slate.com. Uh, if you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, join that group now. Go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. A lot of people there talking about the show, talking about their own parenting triumphs and fails. It's a great conversation. Uh, get into it. Our show is produced by Jess Jupiter. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next week. If you were a member of Slate Plus, you would be hearing our Slate Plus segment now. Here's a little peek. I want to hear a little bit about how you navigated the day, the day-to-day -day stuff of like showing up for New Hampshire Public Radio and showing up for this podcast and breaking your leg as you know as a thing that you did and like how did you navigate all that with this thing just sort of lingering in the back? Like, what was that experience like for you? If you want to hear the rest of that segment, go to slate.com/slash/momanddadplus right now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.